Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. You may be listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We're the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. My name is Dr. Beach. Good morning, Dr. Beach. Good morning, Dr. Burton. How are you today? I'm very well on this fine, well, frosty morning where I came from. I've just come down from the Ranges. Nice. Malmesbury area. Chilly? Oh, yeah. Oof. It's been a couple of nights in the van, dealt with frost. Gorgeous. About time. About yeah. time we got some frost. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was beautiful. Yeah. But that's north. Not in Melbourne. Not going to be frosty here. Yeah. It was a little chilly this morning. A bit chilly. Yeah. yeah. And um, we are heading for a stunning day. But uh, I'll let you do the honours with the weather report shortly. Firstly, thank you very much to Tim for Vital Bits and to Andrew for Soulful Bits. Celebrating, uh, well, Tim was celebrating Bob Dylan's 80th birthday. Uh, driving down this morning, it was a, just a beautiful set of Bob Dylan colours. Oh. Fantastic. Even a Fairport convention, but a Sandy Denny thrown in there. A couple of duets. Yeah, a few duets. My favourite duet with Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I, when I heard the opening bars to that, I thought, oh, on your Tim. Thanks for playing that one. I yeah, do love it. Very much so. On your Tim. Um, you can catch Tim next weekend, of course, Saturday and Sunday for, more, for more Vital Bits. Yeah. Um, on today's program, we're kicking off with a very special guest. A oh, very, Beach. very special guest. Some listeners might remember. Um, I had a, a wonderful opportunity to go out on a, a tugboat um, in the port of Melbourne. Oh, gee, it must be almost a couple of years ago now. It certainly wasn't during 2020 with um, with Jim Welsh. And Jim's come into the studio and Jim's going to talk with us. We're going to have a free-ranging conversation this, this morning centred around the plight of seafarers during 2020. Um, mm. The... Various tribulations. Tribulation sounds like an understatement that they had to go through, but we will save that for when Jim's in the studio. But, well, you know, he's here now. He's waiting in the green room with bated breath. He's very excited to be coming in. In fact, we're excited. This is going to be our, only our second guest live in the studio this year. And um, last year. And oh, Well, yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Really looking forward to this. It is, yeah. So we're going to be talking about, the, yeah, the, the terrible things that happened to people who work on the sea last year and perhaps uh, even continuing now, mm. things that we don't. Appreciate we don't we get goods coming in from all over the place. We depend on this, but yeah, who gets them to us? Mm, and what do they have to go through yeah. in order to get them to us? We are we've got quite a few local um, events happening around the traps, so I'll I'll give those a plug. Um, we are then going to be catching up with Jackie Younger and AJ Morton from the Save Our Spider Crabs campaign. Doctor Beach, it's late May, the next full moon. I think it's coming this week, and uh, means. I was going to say only one thing. It probably means many things, but a very important thing, it means that uh, Melbourne spider crabs are on the march. Um, I believe they're not around just yet, and that's possibly something unusual. Usually they kind of have a little sneak appearance, um, you know, around March, April, and then disappear again and then come back en masse. It's almost like they're checking things out before yeah. they come back. But, um, yeah, no sightings as yet, but lots of excitement building. So we're going to talk to AJ and Jackie about what's happening um, and uh, their very long campaign to protect them from 
a, a lot of the exploitative harvesting, I think it's pretty safe to call it that, that mm. happened last year, um, building on similar activities in the year before. And what we can expect in the weeks ahead, there's been a really interesting shift in behaviour in the online community um, previously. Great celebration, and it still is, of the crabs arriving, but, you know, people letting people know where they are. And that's all gone a little bit hush-hush because right. the information falls into the hands of, of others who decide that that's an opportunity to go and pull them all out of the water. Yeah, so exploit them. That will be uh, very interesting to catch up with Jackie and AJ because it's been a while since we've done that. Let's have a look at today's weather, Dr Beach. What's happening? Well, it was yeah, a bit frosty this morning. It was six-degree minimum in town. It's going to be a beautiful day, 20 degrees today after a bit of um, yeah fog this morning, which some of you may have seen. That was mainly out in the outer suburbs. Uh, yeah, sunny day, light winds, going to be 20 degrees tomorrow. We have a partly cloudy day with 19 degrees. Tuesday, 20 degrees, showers developing. Uh, and then looking forward on Wednesday to 15, yeah, so dropping down a bit to the mid-teens during the rest of the week. Bront, not too much rain, perhaps a little bit of a sprinkle. Oh, no, no, Wednesday, there's going to be, yeah, Wednesday, two to six mils of rain. If you are heading out on the water, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides at Point Lonsdale, which, of course, is the heads of Port Phillip. It's going to be a low tide this afternoon at 1 o'clock, and it was a high tide just about just over an hour ago. Um, on the water, with oh, with the surf, with the swells, moderate swells and northerly winds are favouring most open beaches for a good wave, according to Swellnet. Excellent. And of course, if you want up-to-date surf forecast, you should go to swellnet.com because we're reading from a paper that was printed sometime overnight yeah. with a forecast that was provided to them before then. <laughs> it's probably useless ever mentioning it. Well, I mean, I think things are pretty stable today. I think if you get a day where things are potentially going to change, it's probably worth, um, well, it's always worth it, but even more important to check the latest. But always good to give that caveat. Yeah. I've got a uh, weather report from Antarctica, thanks to our Antarctica correspondent, Cliff Davis. Dear Cliff. G'day, Cliff. Cliff. (laughs) Big shout out to Cliff. We love you, Cliff. This is the highlight of the week for me. Uh, Casey. Oh, he's given us Casey and Davis. Let's start with Casey. Um, And uh, we at Casey Station, air temperature minus 16.7. Wind chill factor takes it down to minus 25.4 with an 87% humidity. Extraordinarily beautiful Aurora forecast, which will pop on our Facebook page as we always do. And um, oh, station messages. I don't know if I'm allowed to read this out, but I'm going to anyway. Midwinter is five weeks away. It's a little count. Isn't that cool? Count five weeks. And the Davis weather station, if you want to see what's happening at Davis, uh, minus 32 degrees with a wind chill factor takes it down to minus 43.4 degrees centigrade. And um, Cliff's also sent us some photos uh, of an aurora. Like this is these are not just the forecast, but the aurora itself, which is absolutely stunning. I, my eyes are just a goggy. I mean, you can't see what Bron's showing me, of course, but yeah, it looks fantastic. And there were people who were sighting the aurora from um, around these parts yeah. during the week. So we'll put those on our Facebook page because then your eyes can be a gog as well. I've never seen an aurora of you, Bron. No, it's on my list. Yeah, it is on my list. Yeah. A <laughs> couple of things to mention. Um, thank you, Trent, for sending this one our way. Mornington Peninsula Beach Cleanup Sea Shepherd Australia Marine Debris Campaign. This is happening today from 10 o'clock. It's uh, at Meet at Frankston Pier. It runs from 10 until 1 o'clock this afternoon. Get down there and help the good people from Sea Shepherd um, with the – what a great weather for it too, Dr Beach. Mm, stunning. 
beach cleanup activity happening. So don't forget to bring your own gloves, closed-in shoes, be sun smart. You will want to be sun smart today, and um, as you should be anyway. But, you know, we, we tend to sort of get a little, yeah heading into winter but it's going to be very very sunny today and water in a reusable bottle so um good on your folks and uh, get down there and support them if you possibly can yep absolutely clean it up uh, the only other one i really wanted to mention up front was pint of science because we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks um for pint of science there are activities going on this week um there is space science lab with dr melrose brown on tuesday at 6 30 and then fertility and development labs with dr emmanuel pelosi and yunan ye on friday 28th of may at 6 30 so go to the pint of science website we've already put details of that on our facebook page and sign up for those activities for Fertility and development labs. Sounds yeah. Interesting. I don't think they mean Labradors. No, I don't think they do. Either. Dr. Surf would be getting excited about that one. <laughs> He's got one of each colour now, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Um, some of our listeners might remember, oh, it was a couple of years ago that I um, played a recording. I was, I was very lucky, very fortunate to be invited out onto a, um, a tugboat by, by Jim Walsh. Um, that came about, it was, it was quite an interesting thing. I remember saying on air that I really wanted to go out on a pilot boat and then we had a a phone call coming in from Jim saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not on a pilot boat, but yeah, I could get you out on a tugboat. And I was like, awesome. It was so much fun. And we recorded it. And it's, um, yeah, it was really good. But what is even more wonderful is that we now have Jim Walsh with us back in the studio today. Good morning, Jim. How are you going? Good morning, Dr. Beach. Good morning, Bron. Great to have you here. Oh, fantastic to be here. Yeah. Jim, you're not only um, working on a tugboat very actively, but to get to that position, you've had quite an experience as a seafarer doing various things. I wonder if you could just give us a, like a little sort of potted history of the of the seafaring life of um, of Jim Walsh. Oh, thanks, Doctor Beach. No, I'm a merchant seaman. I'm an integrated rating. Um, I got away to sea in 1990 when the Australian coast was a little bit more vibrant than it is today. Uh, it was an industry-based uh, employments uh, with the merchant seamen. Today we see a lot of ships that are foreign on our coast. There's not many Australian ships left at all. We've got the Bass Strait. Uh, there's a few ships up north with gas buggies. A lot of them the offshore oil and gas, uh, specialist vessels um, and so forth. But the industry is really dependent on foreign trade at the moment. And that, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. The reason we got you in was to you know, not only catch up with you, Jim, but also to, to, to discuss what happened last year on the... On the seas, seafarers, we, we got a little bit of information through the news about the plight of seafarers and how some of them were stranded, and it was it was all quite upsetting for us. And, of course, we all depend upon the goods which are shipped in, but we often th- often forget, I think, about how they get here and what happens. So, And I've had a couple of conversations with you last year saying it was just you know, pretty terrible. So, so if, I wonder if you can just sort of... Summarise, well not summarise, but, yeah. but from, from your aspect, from, from your insider viewpoint. Yeah, there's an old saying that going to seas, it's like a snazzy way of doing jail with the added risk of drowning. And, <laughs> and there's a little bit of truth to that. So last year, of course, with COVID, what happened with the ability to travel internationally outside of being on a ship? You know, people, ships don't come to your door to pick you up. You know, often you have to fly, uh, travel to yep. join your ship and a lot of the foreign seafarers spend an extended period of time on ships most of them are three six twelve month contracts ten months unfortunately last year with a lot of these people they were basically uh, incarcerated on the ship for extended periods of time contracts were broken and it's a twofold thing you know there was a guest at uh, half a million seafarers worldwide 
were constrained from travelling to or from ships or stuck on ships. In America alone, there was uh, something like 70,000 cruise ship workers that were stuck on ships. Now, these, these people don't want to let these people go home because they can't get them back. Mm-hmm. And they're all hoping to get an industry going again. So it's a, it's a catch-22. Jim, was there much um, – was it fairly consistent – or in terms of different countries' approach to how this this worked with the with with the workers, or did, was it consistent, or was there a difference between how you know the different approach of different countries? Oh, it's a little bit hard to say, Bron. From the Australian perspective, you know, even inside Australia, people travelling to Tasmania restricted the ability to get off the ship um, because of restri- you know inter- interstate restrictions. People's ability to travel home from work in Western Australia, the ability to travel to work in Western Australia, Western Australia offshore and gas is a big industry, the ability to travel to Queensland, um, you know, across the country we saw it. So it just extended internationally. Mm. And I dare say, I, I would say, you know, a lot of seafarers from the likes of the Philippines, um, Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, you know, a lot of these poorer countries, your transport's an issue. And so I, I would say it's just across the board it would have been difficult for everybody. And did you find it kept changing? So that the rule, the circumstances and, and the rules around whether, you know, you could or could not get on or off a ship kept changing with different circumstances around COVID trends? Yeah, look, once again, it's a little bit hard as an Australian to know exactly mm. what's going on a ship. You know, you see a ship in port, you, you don't know what's going on there. For me, these restrictions that occurred with COVID and the the, uh, the ability to hold people on board these ships is nothing new. Mm. This is old story. COVID's brought it to the surface and maybe accentuated it into the greater numbers. But generally speaking, this is an old story that dates back well into the 1800s with the likes of press ganging, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we've heard that like, people press-ganged onto boats in, in England to, to come out to Australia, but I would imagine that happened in, in all sorts of places. Well, press-ganging only really come about... You know, man, man's gone, people have gone to sea for many, many uh, years, thousands of years probably we could say, and press-ganging came about because of what was called the coffin ships, and the coffin ships in the late 1800s is, uh, you know, mostly coastal trade, the British and Europe and all that, where only 30% of trade got to where it was going. Ships were insured, cargoes were insured... Men were not, yeah. and ship owners are greedy. Make no mistake about that. You know the current victualling rate uh, for one of the largest shipping companies seven dollars a day. That's they're prepared to spend seven dollars a day on food per person on each on their ship. <laughs> seven bucks a day, and and that's only seven dollars if the skipper decides to if he wants to live on crayfish, then everyone else is living on rice, mate. <laughs> you know, make no mistake. There's the egalitarian society we might think exist or existed with pirates, say. I shouldn't say that, but uh, it doesn't <coughs> exist on ships. It, 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 it is them and us. So I wonder if you could d- d- describe, like, sort of your, your direct experience right now is, is on tug, but, but, but a d- direct experience, what, what, life for, on, for a seafarer, say Filipino crewman on a ship going around the world, what's it like? Well, it may be a great life. He might work for a, on a, a reputable company on a good quality ship. He might be well looked after, and he mm-hmm. might not be. You know, if you argue on the wrong ship, it's a long swim. Make mm. no mistake. There's lots of examples of things that have occurred. In 2012, the Sage Sagittarius was the vessel that was operating between Newcastle and Japan, a self-discharging coal carrier. On the way back to Australia, the bloke was found dead. Um, cook 
strange circumstances, the ship was diverted to Port Kembla. They went on board the Federal Police or the authorities. The ship then went to Newcastle, um, where on the way I believe they put a company man on board. Hmm. On the way from Newcastle to Japan, uh, someone else was found dead. Through same, uh, First of all, the bloke went missing over the side. The second person was found with uh, injuries that weren't consistent with a fall that apparently it had. When the ship got to Japan, uh, the, the company man was found dead too. Three people in two months dead on one ship. Now, this ship had been raided numerous times, and these are not uncommon stories. My goodness. <laughs> and it's not the... It's interesting what you were talking about in terms of... it's. I think it falls under that whole category of out of sight, out of mind, because we have these ships, they're on the ocean... You can't easily get a, a Channel 9 film crew onto one of these ships to actually expose some of this stuff. It's only when stories sort of start to come out that we kind of understand what's really happening. Well, that's right. And the Ships of Shame report in 1992 that was tabled in the Australian Parliament highlighted that, where a lot of ships were registered in countries of convenience. Now, shipping costs are pretty fixed. The, the few variables are wages which and crew costs, which are way less than 5% the total cost of the ships. Your port costs are set. Towage costs mm. are set, all those things are set. And the things that aren't set are your insurance, crew costs, and the quality of the ship. So these ships become older, they register in a country like Liberia or Panama. And in 92, the report tabled in Parliament highlighted how six ships disappeared off the Western Australian coast alone and were never seen again. Now, no one was seen again. They found one life raft with a couple of people in it, uh, perished. Yeah. These ships are Poorly maintained, poorly loaded, under pressure for time. You know, time's a big thing. And they, they, they leave port there. They're loading very heavy cargoes like ore out of Kembla or out of uh, Headland. And they come off a sea and they just part. They just break in two and go to the David Jones's locker. They're gone. Now, they're not an Australian people. They're not an Australian ship. They've left an Australian port. So they're out of sight, out of mind. They're mm. over the horizon. Um, and there, were, there was a case even very locally recently um, where... Somebody jumped ship in Port Phillip, I heard. Yeah, I didn't see much about that. I, I did see that occurred. There must have been reasons why they did it. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you talk, get back to the COVID, about people, that hmm. ship, the LNG carrier that was going from Brisbane to PNG and then to, off to Vanuatu. They found a, a body on the beach in Vanuatu. Uh, it came off this small uh, LNG carrier. Uh, they tested the crew. 12 out of 13 people on board had COVID. So what pressures occurred on that ship... Yeah. Concerns, people come on board with COVID, everyone's paranoid they're going to get it. It's hard to gauge how people are feeling with such a, you know, what's going on. And you can imagine, like, that, yeah, just that feeling on a board, on, on board a ship like that, where you've got other people who are sick and there's really not, there's, there's nowhere to go, as you said before. Some of them, they can be like a prison ship. Yeah, well, if you've been there for three or six months and someone turns up, you're probably a little bit protective because you've been living in your isolated bubble. Yeah. So a lot of these ships, in some ways, they're a protection unit for the people on board, and in other ways they're not. Yes, yeah. Jim, how are things regulated with, let's look at COVID as an example, um, so particularly on a ship which is travelling internationally, you know, in and out of different international waters. How, how does that work in, you know, obviously here in Australia we have regulations that operate at both a federal and at a state setting. 
How do things work on a ship that's travelling between different countries and with different jurisdictional regulations? How does that work? Yeah, Bron, it's hard to say. But in Australia itself, when a ship comes to Australia, the seafarers are not tested for COVID, but the wharfies who do go on those ships are screened once a week. Now, those people were screened, but they still go home to their families. Mm. Now, as, as, as was stated, I think in the press release, it's like testing the barman. Yep. You know, these people are coming and going, that's fine. They're entitled to come and go. They're doing important trade. Uh, as an Australian seafarer, I'd like to see more Australians doing it. But uh, the fact that it's a required trade, it's very important. And obviously, uh, you know, Australia has, as an island nation, is one of the greatest, largest shipping tasks in the world. When we, A lot of it's weight-based mm. or things, but uh, it's a huge task. What are the communities like on board the ships? I suppose you can only talk from your own experience. But oh, fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I love listening to the... Uh, the the weather report from down south. You know, I worked on the Aurora Australis for a couple of years. I have friends who worked on there for many years. Well, Cliff, Cliff Davis's report. Oh, he's fantastic. Does a great job, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that ship in particular, the, the, the camaraderie, the friendship, I've never laughed so much. You know, I've been on ships that are, you know, a lot of discontent. Um, there's many factors that go towards making a good ship. Uh, sometimes the worst ships are the best ships, the type of cargo... The things you're doing can be the, the hard ones, can be the, the good ships. Um, I'd imagine that the, the skipper has a lot to do with that or not. Am I just. You know, the master of the vessel, the master of the vessel, isn't, he's, he's the company representative. It's always a difficult position. So he's obviously yeah. separate. And, uh, you know, it is a British mentality, British admiralty mentality on Australian ships for a long, many years, them and us, the, right. the officers and the skippers and the deck officers and the engineers and then the crew. Yeah, um, hierarchical. Uh, yeah, well, you had your own mess, you had your own uh, bar, rec room, TV rooms, you lived on a different deck. Uh, th- these things are long, they go back in history a long way. It goes back to, you know, you weren't allowed to walk to Wimbledon at the skipper not that long ago, mate, because he didn't want to smell you. <laughs> you know, that, that was the way going to sea was. And the, the, right, to, the right to whip a man uh, was, you know, uh, Dana, 1835, two, two years before the mass, spoke, about the effects of whipping a man, the right of a skipper, you know, I'm going to whip this bloke, and why are you whipping this man, skipper? Because I want to, and you're next. You know, that that was the way it was, and it, it, some of that mentality comes through to today. Not a lot, one would hope, but, but I'd imagine there oh, whipping's, whipping's been banned, but there's other things that, uh, you know, it's still difficult in some areas. And, and these these foreigners living in, in, in that life, they, they are really repressed. Make no mistake, you do not know what's going on in some of these ships. Not all ships, for sure. Mm. And, and hopefully it's a vast minority. Yeah. You mentioned pirates before, and I, I mean, having a seafarer in here, I can't, I can't resist the opportunity to, to bring up that topic again. But um, the stories we hear about pirate ships and all of coast of Africa and all of that, I mean, have you got any inside juice on that? Any kind of, like, any opinion from you on yeah, that? Yeah, no what? different to 150 years ago, mate. They're oppressed seafarers. You know, the, the coast, the Somali coast was destroyed. Uh, during the war years, interim governments give permission to large factory fishing vessels to come in. Uh, they pillaged the coast, destroyed the coast coastline. After that, uh, you know, we see in Australia these collections of chemicals in warehouses that are caught fire. This has occurred in Europe for many years by the mafia, believe it or not. You can research this yourself. These chemicals are collected. They couldn't dispose of. They gained permission off uh, interim governments in these war-torn places and went down and dumped all these chemicals. Just destroyed, just destroyed the coastlines. Now, it put all these 
people out of work, what do they do? They become desperate. They come up with a good idea, and they come up with a real good idea, the Somali pirates. Knocking off a ship was a real good idea because the cargo is worth a lot of money. They never used to do that. They knocked the ship off, but, you know, the cargo. Um, and obviously then the warlords get, that's a good idea, and they get involved. So right. it becomes just this repressed state of these minorities. And it's the same in the old days with seafarers uh, carting slaves out of Africa. The, the slaves were looked after. The seafarers were not fed. fed. They were, they were, the cargo was important. The seafarers yeah. were not. So these blokes went pirating. They were forced to go pirating because of the situation. Now, it doesn't make them good people, I can tell you. They were, they'd, yeah. you know, they'd save today. They'd kill you. <laughs> but it, it, it's about repression and about forced situation. Yeah. Jim... I'm just looking at the time. I'm, we, I could talk to you about all this stuff for at least another I could half too, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Um, how, how how do you want to finish this one up for now, Doctor Beach? Because I'd really love to have you back in again, Jim, and talk about other. Are you going back out to sea? Oh, I've got work today. Yeah, yep. I've got towage today. Yep. yep. Okay. What, what what just before you go? I mean, what, what what's going to be your your job this afternoon? Oh. You probably can't tell us the ships that you're going to be dealing with, but yeah, you're going to be we'll be lying in the hammock and. Couple of margaritas I on don't the think beach, so. and, no, uh, you're not going to be doing that. Oh, we go down there and we just uh, tell so it down there, down there, docks, Melbourne docks. Yeah, that's right. And you've got there's one particular boat that you work. Yeah, I work on what's called the SL Daintry. She's what's called 2411. It's a pretty modern tug. They're very flash. The modern tugs they can do some pretty uh, flash gear. They're extremely powerful. Yeah. And so, what will you be doing? So, oh, we'll go out. You just meet vessels. You just put up a line. Um, and just uh, as required, the pilots call the orders. Now, let's touch. take this a little bit slowly. So put up a line. What is, what is that? Like, so just take us through. We, we, I reckon we, we can spend another four minutes on this, I reckon, Bron, can't we? I've, I've not given it a choice. We are going to do it. <laughs> so putting up a line. Well, yeah, just, for an arrival, a ship comes in, uh, they send down a line, throw a line to you, you hook your line on, they pull it up, then they pull a messenger, small line, then they pull up what we call the grommet. It's a, ton, a line's about 40 mil uh, in a modern con- uh, configuration, HMPE, and it's a 300 tonne braking strain, hooked to a 88 mil line with a 200 tonne braking strain. And then we push or pull or slow or some... We've seen a lot of bigger ships, a lot of three-tug uh, movements in the port. Ships over 340, 46 metres the other night. It's a huge ship, mate, from Port yep. Melbourne. And where, do you, and where do you tow it out to? Oh, we'd probably put it alongside for an arrival, one of the, one of the berths, or for a departure, we'd pull it off the berth and assist it out, then it just steams to sea. On a day like this where it's likely to be quite calm, is, is, is that going to be a factor in making your job easier today? Yeah, the job, look, make no mistake, the job's pretty straightforward when it's straightforward, but when it gets difficult, it gets dangerous. When things start going wrong, breeze or uh, for some reason, the ever given, you know, these, there's an interaction problem. My guess, the ship's bounced off the bank. What was the ever given? Uh, the thing in the Suez Canal. Oh, we won't right, go right. there because we're out of time. Jim Walsh, thank you very much for coming into the studio today. It's been fantastic to to hear from you and to, and to see you again um, after all this time. It's been Dr. Really Beach, absolute pr- privilege and uh, pleasure. Thanks, Bron. And you'll come back? I'd love to. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. Fantastic. 9.33, nearly 9.34, you're listening. A couple of things to mention. One is uh, just a shout-out from the Western Port Pelican Study Group. Um, They're just putting out a call. If you happen to see green leg bands on pelicans, they're after some information. There's uh, an email address you can send it to. I'm going to read it out, even though you won't have time to write it down. You can always listen back via Radio On Demand, or we'll put this on our Facebook page too. Information needs to go to wpsg2020 at gmail.com.
That's WPSG, which is Western Port Pelican Study Group, 2020 at gmail.com. They're just after some information. They're trying to track down some of their pelicans. I think they're banded pelicans. I think uh, our next guest, Jackie Younger, can tell us a bit more about that because I know she's involved with this group. Uh, the other thing, a couple of um, uh, contacts that we've had from people, people reaching out. Andrew Gaynor sent us a message after last week's segment um, by Rex talking about the prison hulks off Williamstown and just wanted to um, put this one in your diaries. There's a, an exhibition happening with Bayside City Council opening on the 10th of July. So it's a while, a bit, a bit of a while away, but um, just wanted to mention this because Andrew reached out. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, we might get you on the show to talk about this. Surveying 160 years of art featuring or made with within the boundaries of Bayside and uh, changing state of coastal environment being a particularly strong thread. So really looking forward to that one. It's going to be fantastic. And last, because we've still got Jim in studio and I wanted him to hear this, um, Cliff Davis down in Antarctica <laughs> sent a message to you, Jim, and he says, Hi, Jim, I spent a lot of time on uh, AI. I think he means Aurora Australis. Crew were fantastic. Good times. And uh, there you go. So thanks that for that, Cliff. Amazing. Now, can you believe it? We're heading into the final full week of May. Mornings are getting chilly. The leaves are dropping off the deciduous trees and the next full moon is very much on its way, which can only mean one thing. Spider crabs are on the march. So where are they? When can we expect them to arrive on the Mornington Peninsula? And how is the Save Our Spider Crabs campaign going to protect them from some of the exploitative crabbing behaviours we've seen over the last two years? To answer all of these questions and probably even a few more, it's with great pleasure we welcome back to Triple after a long absence from the Save Our Spider Crabs campaign, AJ Morton and Jackie Younger. Good morning, AJ. Good morning, Jackie. Welcome back. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> Great to have you with us. Um, let's start with the status report of the heroes themselves, the spider crabs. I mentioned at the start of the program, it doesn't look like there's too many uh, or too much activity happening yet. Is that true? It's very true. Um, not a lot of activity near our little piers at the moment. Um, there's glimpses of larger, you know, aggregations out in the depths. They're then again very small, um, but they haven't quite arrived yet. So we're hoping they do that soon enough because we're chomping at the bit. AJ, <laughs> it's Dr. Beach here. Any any um, any indicating reasons for that, or is it sort of you know a bit unpredictable? The spider crabs do what they want. Um, well, basically, all we can really do is go off traditions, right? What's happened year by year by year by year for decades, and yeah. they should be here by now, absolutely. So there's a lots of kind of worry whether or not stuff that's happened over the previous years has had any kind of impact on that as well. Um, so we'll just kind of wait the season out and see what happens. How long overdue are they if, if the people are starting to worry at the moment? Usually there's a lot of activity May um, and June, we kind of have an idea of where they are and, and they're tracking them at this kind of time of year, but we actually don't really have any in the shallows at the moment, at least on this side of the bay. AJ, I was following a social media thread yesterday and saw some commentary about how in the past you often get a little sneaky, you know, a sneak preview appearance um, a little bit earlier, maybe late March, um, early April, somewhere around there, but that doesn't seem to have happened this year either. Oh, I'll no. just cut in there. We have had a couple of um, reports from – I've had a few people send me messages of maybe gatherings of 10 sort of sporadically, and that's probably one or two reports, but nothing like we normally have. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, AJ, let's, uh, let's, let's have a chat about the campaign and um, 
When we uh, last caught up with you, you were just starting to meet with some people from the Mornington Peninsula Shire Council. Um, I might just jump straight to this, if that's okay, because there, hey. there was quite a big announcement this week um, in terms of council voting relating to spider crabs. What happened? What went on there? Oh, geez, isn't the Mornington Peninsula Shire awesome? So they've obviously followed this very closely, and uh, Councillor Sarah Race, their Deputy Mayor, has uh, kind of stepped up and, and put it right on the table, and they're extremely supportive of the uh, community action here. So they're actually really calling for either an exclusion zone around our peers, very similar to the, the result from the race campaign, or an outright supportive of a no-take season like we've been campaigning for, campaigning for for the last few years. So really, really good stuff. Um, how have those discussions been travelling? Because uh, it's been quite some time since we've really touched on this issue. So the the discussions that were happening between your group, there's also the Spider Crab Alliance and um, Victorian Fisheries Authority. Where, where are things at with those discussions? Discussions with VFA are somewhat still kind of happening in the background, but it's certainly nothing productive. Um, our discussions and campaigning has very much been with other groups um, other ministers, other departments, and lots of kids, which has been amazing <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, let's have a talk about that because um, I guess that leads us into the colouring um, competition that, that you had on. We did talk about that earlier in the year, but I know you've been doing a lot of work with scouts as well. Um, yeah, can you talk us a bit about some of the community um, outreach and engagement work that you've been doing? Yeah, sure thing. Lot, lot. This is a community campaign and this is the community standing up for uh, something that's happening very magical in their backyard and they want it to stay. So the kids are getting on board. The scout groups have been amazing. We've presented to both the Cubs and um, the scouts and everyone that we talk to is pretty much of the same opinion and saying we need this to stay. We want, we want to see this forever. So the kids are really getting stuck into colouring in competitions that we've created. The amount of entries that are flooding in at the moment because it ends the 31st of May is is bonkers. The PO box <laughs> and the inbox is just going nuts. It's amazing. How many how many entries have you had? We put one of the entries up on um, on our Facebook page, and thanks Jackie for sending that to us. Oh, no. It's it's really gorgeous. We, we've probably got hundreds coming in. They're starting to flow in now. I was going to add to that too. We've got I'm being sent um, pictures now with. Students uh, getting up at their school assemblies and doing uh, talks on the spider crab issue and the colouring competitions. So we're going to be very, very busy opening um, emails and looking at uh, what's coming into our PO box as well. So it's going to—it's very—it's crazy. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So are these kids that are like living down there and they might have been out on the pier? They've had first experience of them themselves, or are they getting this through the the, the many wonderful videos that the people such as you guys are putting up? To see on, Look, on the I, I would say both, Kent. They're, 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 we, I deal with my work life with a lot of schools. Um, they're talking to their parents. They're looking at, you know, what's going on in the peers. You know, they're, they're, the spider crabs, are, as we all know, are very are so famous and it's just increasing every year. So the kids are hearing it from everywhere. I mean, this Mornington Peninsula, the cancelled Shire vote has really um, ramped it up another level. Um, so they're hearing it from everyone's talking about it. So it's coming from schools, from government, all sorts of different businesses. Everyone's looking forward to it. So the kids are really getting onto it. And, you know, I have to say to stand up at your assembly and talk on the spider crab issue, that's, that's what it's all about. It is about their future. That's a big deal, isn't it? I remember when I was at school, I would—I don't think I would have ever got up on at a school <laughs> assembly and talked about anything. So, you know, thinking Never. about it from that perspective, it's quite a big deal. And I think that, look, they feel the support. We talk to a lot of school kids, 
you know, throughout every day in our working life. And, you know, they, we tell them this is about you. We want you have the right to see this spectacle for many years to come. So they really feel that support. And I think that gives them um, the motivation and empowers them to want to want to help and, and look at their local environment. And they are, yeah, they're doing presentations at their assemblies, which is something that, yeah, we would never have done at school. Any, any dress up to anyone rocking up with, in a spider crab outfit to do this? Oh, AJ will answer that one. He's been doing the scout ones, so... Go, AJ. Oh, you may have seen the photos running around. Um, <laughs> one of the dive shots on the Peninsula Scuba Doctor, they actually commissioned that spider crab suit that you may have seen, that little mascot. I, I haven't so seen it. This was an interesting question for me. <laughs> it's pretty spectacular as far as marine creature costumes go because there have been oh. a few over the years. There's obviously the giant pink nudibranch that um, Cade will put on at any Love possible that. opportunity. <laughs> But this this one's next level. It's just extraordinary. So there's a photo on our Facebook page, Dr. Beach. I'll, I'll show you. On our Facebook page? Yes. Right? That just shows you how much I do the socials. That's all right. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. I was just about to say, while we're – it's jumping ahead a little bit, but talking about that spider crab, the giant spider crab, we are doing a community um, information session on the 6th of June at the Rye Scout Hall at 2 o'clock, and we have, we have the giant spider crab visiting. So if anyone's keen to see it in real time, <laughs> it will be there for a cuddle. I reckon you should charge five bucks for a photo with the giant spider totally. crab and put it towards your campaign. <laughs> a new I'd, fundraiser. I'd pay it. 20 bucks if you want to put it on. <laughs> totally. I'd pay for that too. Um <laughs> Um, on a on a slightly more serious note, I've um you know been I have been following your social media posts and saw that you've been meeting with some state members of parliament recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that went? Yeah, absolutely. We actually had the uh, shadow fisheries minister and um, minister for Bay Health come and contact us and ask us for a bit of a uh, a hangout and a bit of an information session. And funny enough, he's supportive of the uh, campaign as well. Very, so we went, very, yeah, very quick uh, walk down the pier and a very, very interesting conversation where he's really diving into some details and, and to real, really learn more about the, the, I guess, the community sentiment behind this. And, and um, yeah, the, the support that's coming from, excuse me, from the ministers and, and councillors and things like this is just, it's it's exponential at the moment. Yeah. Um, and the more it grows and grows and grows, the more kind of hopefully an element of common sense comes into play to, to follow suit with a positive result. Are some of these meetings leading, are, are they going to follow up on this stuff or is it more that they're sort of taking note and then going back to other things or is there sort of some commitment to follow up on their part? Um, they can only do so much when you're the uh, the shadow side of things, but they're definitely putting pressure um, via their channels. Um, at the same time, we're able to create a communication channel there where we can ask, you know, what can and can't be done or, or could you do this sort of stuff for us. It's been somewhat collaborative and very yeah. supportive. Uh, and overall constructive, which is amazing. Yeah, and I guess the big thing is if the spider crabs don't turn up, then it's going mm. to, you know, we expect that they will at some point. But, um, yeah, in, in, that's really going to be the big determinant, isn't it, in terms of what happens next? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, Dr Beach? Um, yeah, I was just, while we've got you on the... Um on the blower, uh, the sponge transplant from Blairgarry Pier a few years ago, which we talked about a lot. I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, spider crabs um, makes me think of all the beautiful things that we have at our bays and the sponge transplant that you guys were very much involved with, particularly you, AJ. Um, how's that going? How, the, how, how did the how the transplantees go? Mate, you wouldn't even realise that it, we did it. It's so healthy there. 
And to be honest, it is actually really important as a food source Absolutely. for the crabs as well coming through. Yeah. And even Cade would know very well when the nudibranch census and stuff like that comes up and the crabs are around, everyone knows that the crabs eat the nudibranchs. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> timing of that census is very important. So it's, they're all providing, um, you know, their own eco services to each other in a way. So we start messing with it, you know what yeah. I mean? We, we start messing with the cycle. Yeah, it's all beautiful habitat, isn't it, for the nudibranchs on the sponges. And as you said, you get other organisms coming in to eat the nudibranchs. So that's great. So the glues that you used and all that effort that was put in by so many different people um, was completely worth it and, and um, even more, I gather. Yeah, absolutely. Like like I said, the, the, you'd look at some of the panels there and go, holy cow, I didn't, you know, four or four or so years ago when it was, you wouldn't even expect it to know that it was barren and bare until we started gluing stuff on it, you know. It's very healthy. Super important, particularly in um, in the current context of some plans to do some major work around other piers, both in Western Port mm. and in Port Phillip. But we'll, we'll come back to that one next time we catch up with you because uh, we're, we're kind of heading towards time. The couple of things I wanted to ask you about was this data survey, Jack. You and I are talking offline about this one. What's happening with the data sure. survey about to be launched? So we we're, we're look we're answering the community's call. Um, there are you know there's there's talk about research being done, but we want to um, collect some data this this season. Um, we've had so many people asking us what they can do to help. How can I help? How can I do this? So we've 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 basically um, produced a very simple survey um, that that is on a Google form. So you just have to open it up on your phone. Um, we may get to talk about the website in a minute, but it's on our on our Facebook site and our new website. And they can just go in. It's all sorts of details. It's not just looking at the crabbing. It's looking at the impacts. It's looking at the molting, all sorts of different things. So it's just a really good way to collect that data and, and see what's happening this season. Excellent. And last thing to ask you about, you did mention your new website. Do you want to give that a quick plug? Yes. For those out there, we've created a website. We are a little technologically savvy people as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is saveourspidercrabs.com.au. And it's a platform where you can get information about actions that you can do to get stuck into it. One of them yep. being the survey, including still writing letters and where the change.org petition is, as well as it's starting to be a bit of a platform for education, positive information about the crabs and a bit of a code of conduct there. So for those who are wanting to look to interact with them, just some positive tips about how you can do that without, um, you know, messing their stuff up, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Excellent. So saveourspidercrabs.com.au, we will put a link to that on our Facebook page um, after today's program. And the last thing to plug, of course, is the information session at Rice Scout Hall, 6th of June at 2pm. And uh, will that information about that be on your page as well? Yeah, we'll, we'll put that up. We, we've announced quite a few things this week, so we'll put that up and, um, yeah, and make sure that everyone knows that the Giants of Butter Crab is in attendance. Fantastic. Hey, great to catch <laughs> up with you both. Thank you so much. And we're going to follow this one up on a weekly basis now and um, just, Absolutely. Just, just see what happens as these crabs hopefully start to come in. Thanks for your support, guys. Oh, it's Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, just fantastic. So thank you, AJ Morton and Jackie Younger from Save Our Spider Crabs campaign. That pretty much brings us to the end of Radio Marinara for this week, Dr Beach. It does, Bron, but just before we go, I just want to share with the listeners something that I did a few weeks ago. We had a beautiful weekend like this down at Wilson's Prom. We were down there, and I was down there with the Venice correspondent. We were having a bit of a walk, and it was a beautiful, calm day, and I said to I said to Tom, I said, we, we should do one of those boat trips to go. He said, no, that'd be all booked out. Anyway, we went down there, jumped on it. Fantastic thing. Full disclosure here, is this going to sound like the company has paid me to, you know, that I got a free trip and all of that? No, I, in fact, paid for this. And it was 
one of the most surprisingly beautiful boat trips I have ever done. It's an amphibious vessel which comes up onto Norman Bay where Tidal River is. Very little damage to the environment that I could see from this. I'm not an expert on that, but it's like big aircraft landing wheels on it. And then you go out, 40 people on the boat. We had about 30, two boats together. Um, open air, two and a half hours. We headed straight down towards the very southern tip of the prom. That is the southern tip of the mainland. Didn't get quite to the lighthouse, but we could see it. But along the way, white-bellied sea eagles, fantastic, just amazing. And then we got to the bottom, saw... Um, Seals on Kanauna Island, you could look over to um, Tassie, you could see an island which was actually part of, De um, I forget what the name of that island is, but it was just beautiful, amazing comebacks, there lots of black-faced cormorants, seals, and then we stopped at a place called Cleft Island, which is otherwise known as Skull Rock, which you can see off Norman Bay, just sensational. Admittedly, it was the perfect day to do it, Brom, but if anybody is having um, any doubts about doing that and you're down there, it, it does cost a bit of money. It's um, it's a little bit over 100 bucks, but for that two and a half hours, it is very well worth it, and I commend the people who run that and, and also the beautiful students on board that were um, doing the comms for us and explaining all the biology to us. It was it was quite wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Dr Beach. Pleasure. I must get down and do that myself. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.